Well, good morning, church. Let's stand. us singing acoustic this morning, so we need you to sing and praise as loud as you possibly can. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to Palm Sunday service. Sing, we worship.
God some praise this morning.
minute and praise him. Come on, praise him. Praise him. He is so good to us.
feet this morning. We want to welcome you to Gateway Church. Thank you for being here this morning. If you're a guest, we want to thank you for uh, uh, taking this uh, hour or hour and 15 minutes of your Sunday to be with us. Uh, there is uh, located on the back of your pew a, a QR code. Uh, and uh, you can take your, your uh, phone out and you can scan that QR code. It will bring you to what we call the Gateway Church Lobby. 
There you can, um, you can give. You can, if you're new, you can check in. If you're a regular, you can check in. Uh, you can give prayer requests. Uh, anything that you would be able to do that you need to be able to do, you can do from that website. And uh, we just want to know that, uh, that you're more than a number to us. Uh, we want to know who you are and that you've been here or if you haven't been here. Or, uh, we just want to let you know that we're thankful that you're with us today. Um, this is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And uh, next week, today's Palm Sunday, and, and uh, next week we'll be celebrating, we'll be coming together to celebrate Easter. And we're going to start a series entitled, I Am Jesus. And um, we've been talking about over the last uh, several weeks that, that there's a couple of things you can do for Easter service. Uh, first of all, if you're a guest and you do not have a, a home church, we would love to have you with us. Uh, for our regulars, we've been asking you for the last month or so, uh, that it's a, it's a proven statistic that over 80% of people who are invited to an um, Easter service will come. And uh, so we've asked you to do two things. First of all, we ask you to pray. Pray that, uh, that as a church and as a church staff, we'll be able to, to present the gospel clear next week. And that, that there will be people here, and when they come, there'll be, uh, there's going to be people who come who are, who are dead, uh, dead spiritually. And uh, there's going to be people that, that need life, and they need life in Christ. And so we're praying that, uh, that their hearts will, will be prepared. We're also praying that as we go through our day-to-day life, that we will realize and understand that God puts people uh, in our paths, people that we have influence over, people who, uh, who, who respect us and, and look up to us. And, and they're just waiting for someone to ask them to come to Easter service. So we've been asking you to pray and then to invite Pray and invite. It says that if we do anything without praying, we might as well not do it. But when you begin to pray and you begin to seek God's face, and, and then you just say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. And begin to ask. We've made it easy. There are some cards in the lobby. You can grab one of those cards. It just says uh, uh, Easter, uh, Gateway, uh, Easter at Gateway. And then on the back of it, it just gives some details. Uh, hand that out. But put some personal investment in it. Don't just leave it on your table for your waiter or your server or, or, or actually talk to somebody. Actually uh, uh, invest in it. Let them know when you're coming. Let them find out what service they want to come to and, and, and plan your Easter around them. It's that important. It's that important to see people uh, because this may be the only opportunity for some of your friends in 2022. It may be the only time that they come to church. It may be the only day that they're open to an invitation. So don't waste it. Uh, and if you've been asking, uh, keep asking. And if they've told you no, ask some more. Uh, and um, so we're going to pray just in a minute. And we're going to pray that through this process, that next Sunday, first service and second service will be filled with people who are hungry for God, people who are searching for something. They've been looking for, for everything and tried to fix everything, and they've tried everything to fix it themselves. And in reality, what they need is God. And so can you pray with me? Father, we come before you today. God, I'm thankful to be able to stand on this stage in front of this great group of people. God, that you've placed with us to do ministry. And Father, as we prepare for uh, to celebrate the resurrection of your Son, God, I pray that, that you will put a burden in our hearts. God, to, to, to reach out and to compel those to come. God, that, uh, that they can experience the same resurrection that we've experienced. God, that they can go from death to life. Uh, God, let us understand and realize how important that it is. And God, I pray that you'll prepare the way, prepare their hearts. And God, that you will use us. Uh, God, we can't do anything without you. 
And God, we can't do anything to change their lives. But God, we know you can. And Father, use us to help bring you to them. In Jesus' name, amen. week seven of a seven-part series. We started this six weeks ago, and uh, we began looking at uh, the words of Jesus. We've been looking at the words of Jesus when he was on the cross. Uh, a lot of times, once he, he get, gets to the cross, when we're reading through the Gospels, at that point, we think, okay, now it's time for the resurrection. And a lot of times, we look, overlook the words that he spoke while he was on the cross, but there were seven statements that he made while he was hanging on the cross. And in those seven statements, we believe there's something that, that we can learn from them. Uh, being a Christian means that, that we're trying to be Christ-like. Being a Christian means that, that every day we're trying to, to, to imitate someone who did life better than we do. We're trying to, to be more like Christ. And, and so we look at how he reacted in certain situations. How that he reacted when, when opposition came against him. What did Jesus do? How did he handle these situations? And, and then we begin looking at and imitating what he did. So our verse for this series has been found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. So the words there that we've been looking at is study how he did it. Study how Jesus dealt with this bad day. Uh, what we call Good Friday, which would be this Friday, it was good for us, but it wasn't so good for Jesus. And so here he is in the middle of this bad day, the, the, the day of crucifixion. And when he's there, the first thing that Jesus said on the cross, even though he was surrounded by people who were responsible for putting him there, he was looking at all of these people. He wasn't guilty. But there he was. It would have been easy for him to have bitterness and anger in his heart. It would have been easy for him to, to, to not have been concerned about them. But in that moment, he looked to his father and he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And in that moment, he was letting go of any anger or any bitterness that he had in his heart. And from that, we can learn that, that we need to forgive those who are trying to ruin our day. There are going to be people in your life who do you wrong. There are going to be people in your life who, who 
make you have a bad day. They cause you anxiety. And in that moment, for those people, if you're ever going to do exactly what God has called you to do, you've got to let it go. You have to forgive them. And that's what Jesus taught us with his first statement. So there he is hanging in the middle of two people who were guilty. The person on his right and the person on his left, they were paying for the crimes that they did commit. And while he's hanging there, one of them speaks up and he says this to Jesus. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there Jesus is hanging in all of his pain, in all of his suffering. But in that moment, Jesus responds to him and he tells him this. He said, assuredly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, what Jesus was saying was that here I am in the middle of this struggle, just like you are. And I understand that, that I'm not guilty, but you are. But even though all of that, I'm not just concerned, I'm not concerned about myself. In that moment, he recognizes that, that there's people all around him who are struggling as well. And he says, in this moment, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not just going to, to go off in the corner somewhere and have a pity party because I'm having a bad day. No, I'm going to look around me and I'm going to find those who are struggling and I'm going to help them. And so Jesus is there. And then he recognizes some other people at the foot of the cross. Now these aren't the people that have put him there. These aren't his opposition. These people are his family. People who he loves. And so he makes eye contact with his mother, Mary. And he makes eye contact with the disciple whom he loved, John. And he looks at them in the middle of his death. And he tells them, I'm not going to be here much longer. But you guys need to take care of each other. He says, Mary, take care of John. John, take care of my mom because I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. And in that moment, he is concerned about those closest to him. He's concerned about those and his family, even though he's in the midst of a struggle. And so in that moment, you would think that things could get no worse, but it says about noon, darkness fell. So not only was Jesus hanging on the cross, all of a sudden it becomes dark. The sun goes away. He was already suffering, but in that moment, things got worse. Have you ever had that kind of day when you said, things just couldn't get any worse, and then they do? That's where Jesus is. So in the middle of the darkness, Jesus, he cries out to God. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in the middle of this struggle, he understands that, that the people around him aren't going to have the answer. But he's giving us permission to aim our hard questions at God and not man. Because you're going to go through situations in life and the doctor's not going to have the answer. Your friend's not going to have the answer. Your pastor isn't going to have the answer. But God does. And he says, in those moments, I'm giving you permission. You can ask me. So Jesus is hanging there. And then his mouth becomes dry. 
But he finds a, a, enough strength and, a, and enough saliva to, to, to cry out the words. And he says, I thirst. I thirst. Here, the son of a God. He's in the middle of this struggle. But he's willing in this moment to acknowledge that he needs help. And in that statement, we see that if the Son of God, Jesus himself, realized and asked for help, it allowed us to know that there's none of us so self-sufficient, none of us so good that we don't need help. There's going to be times in your life we're not strong enough to make it through a bad day, through a bad season, without asking for help. The next the last thing Jesus would say which most would think were his last words. He's still hurting. He's still in pain. Yet he, he knew something to be true. And so in that moment, he said the words, it is finished. He said, it's finished. He, he was saying, God is doing something. I know what it looks like now. I know that, that I'm hanging on this cross and, and that I've been beaten and, and, and things look bad. But I know that God is doing something. I know that, that this is not how the story is going to end. And through these words, he was telling us to be assured that there is a purpose and there is an end. There's a purpose to what you're going through. And, and that there is an end. You can be assured of that. You can leave here knowing, assured, that everything that you've suffered, everything that you go through, it has a purpose, and everything that you're going through will soon come to an end. This week, as we close this series, I want to, to look at the seventh and final thing that Jesus said on the cross. And in this, it's found in Luke chapter 23. It says, It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Let me stop there just for a second. You say, what does that mean the curtain was torn in two? Well, you see that there was a curtain in the temple. And it was a barrier between people and God. And you couldn't go into the presence of God. You couldn't go to where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was the representation of God. You couldn't go in there with sin, and sin hadn't been paid for. But there was one time a year, the Day of Atonement, that the high priest could enter in. So in this moment, as Jesus is paying for our sin, the supernatural curtain between people and God was ripped in two. And for the first time, all humanity could go before the presence of God. He said, you can come into my presence. In this moment, that's what happened. Let's continue in verse 46. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, he said these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The final words of Jesus before he, was before he died from crucifixion. And from that, those words to live by, we know that we can finally surrender your day to God and let it go. Finally surrender your day to God and let it go. Statement number seven is, is a statement of trust. Because here Jesus is, he's feeling rejected, he's feeling abandoned by his father. 
But in this moment, he decides to put his life into his hands. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. There are times in our life that we feel this way. There are times in our life that we feel abandoned and rejected, not just by people, but by God. Things happen and we have this, this, this thought or this thinking. We feel like, God, where are you? But the truth is, is you'll never really feel the, or experience the presence of God or experience God's peace until you finally decide to give it all to him. Too often we, we want to, to, to co-manage our problems with God. I remember there used to be, a, uh, people would have a, uh, either a bumper sticker or a license plate, and it would say, God is my co-pilot. And, I, it, you know, it was cute and it was catchy. But I heard one person say, well, that's the problem. God doesn't need to be the co-pilot. He needs to be the pilot. You don't even need to be in the cockpit. You need to, to, to be back in first class. You need to be back there and letting God take care of everything. Because the reality is, is our problems cannot be our problem and God's problem at the same time. These words of Jesus, I believe are for all the worriers. Do we have any worriers in the house? Come on, let's be honest. Confession is good for the soul. Yes, hands going up all over the place. Worriers. How many people worry if you're not worried? Or you're worried about being worried? Listen, worry and anxiety is a real thing. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to study a passage of Scripture. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. This was a long sermon. But in this sermon, there's an entire section where Jesus talks about the topic of worry. And what's interesting is, is, is before he starts talking about worry, there's a verse right before it, and I believe it goes together. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 30. And it says, That is why yeah, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow, how they don't work or, or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow... He will certainly care for you. A whole section of this sermon on worry. The Greek root word for worry is divided mind. Divided mind. In other words, it's when you're in a situation 
and you can't make up your mind. You think, well, I, no, God, I've got this. Okay, no, God, you take it. No, God, give it back. You're not doing it right. Give it back to me. And your mind is divided. You know that you need to give it to God. But you also know that you want to be in control. And so you worry. Your mind is divided. But what worry is, is actually a question of, are you going to let God have control of your life or are you not? So here he's saying, you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to make the decision. Who's in control, you or God? And when we worry, what we're actually doing is, is we're trying to control the uncontrollable. The last seven words in that passage, it says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? Listen, I'm guilty of worrying myself. I'm not by nature, I'm not a, a worrier. I don't tend to dwell on things. But there are times and there are seasons that I begin to, to worry. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this? How are we going to do this? But when we begin to worry, we're basically making a statement. And we're saying, God, I'm not really sure that you know what you're doing right now. God, I'm not really sure that, that you're paying attention to the right things. God, do you see me down here? Do you see what I'm going through? And so then what we do with our divided mind, we, we, we take back what we should leave in the hands of God. Jesus' final statement was, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I commit my life. Into my hands, your hands, I commit my day. In other words, Father, I'm letting go. Father, I'm giving it all to you. Listen, it's not as easy as people present it. Now, if you raised your hand and you were a worrier, have you ever had someone look at you and say, you just need to let it go? You ever had anybody do that? Just let it go. And what you're thinking is, I'm going to let my fist go into your face because it's not that easy. And it's really interesting if you've got a, a, a one a spouse, maybe you're a worrier and they're not. Or you're, a, or, or you're the worrier and she or he's not. It becomes really interesting. It's not as easy as it seems. I've been reminded of that several times in my life. I've learned one thing I don't say is just let it go. But today I want to look at the rest of Matthew chapter 6. Because letting it go really equals learning to trust God. Worry is a big deal. Anxiety is real. But there's a verse. If you struggle with worry, you struggle with anxiety. There's a, a couple of verses that need to be your life verses. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Don't worry. Instead, pray. You know what prayer is? Prayer is the moment that you say, God, 
Here it is. Take it. When you begin to pray, in that moment, it's letting go. In that moment, it's saying, God, I give it to you. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm letting go. And my prayer is, is that you'll be able to, to stop worrying and start trusting. Because here's what the Word of God tells us. If you continue on in that verse, it says, If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. How many people would like to take that worry and exchange it for a peace that's so supernatural that you can't explain it, that you can't understand it. Would anybody make that exchange this morning? Would you like to do that? He said, don't worry, pray. Today, I want you to remember that Jesus took all of the stuff that you're facing on himself. Do you know why? So that you wouldn't have to. So that you don't have to deal with it. Because everything that, that we face, he's faced. And so in that moment when we're facing it, we know that, that he's greater than we are. We know that he has the power to handle it. We know that he's already dealt with it. He already has the victory over it. He said, just give it to me. He took it so that you wouldn't have to deal with it. So if you walked in here today with worry or anxiety... My prayer is, is that whatever's worrying you, you'll be able to let it go. Because I know that whatever you came in with, it doesn't have to go out with you. You can leave it and give it to him. You say, how do we do that? The first thing that you need to do to be able to let, let it go, to commit your life completely into his hands, is you need to get to know God. And if you already know God, then we'll add the word. You need to get to know God better. Have you ever had somebody when you first meet them and, and, and the relationship's a little new and, and you don't really trust them fully because you, you don't know them well enough? And so that, you know, there's certain things you'll trust them with and there's other things, you know, I don't trust them with that. But the more time you spend with them, the more you begin to know and understand and realize whether or not you can trust them. And it's so great when you have a relationship with somebody that you know 100% that you can trust them. You know that if you need something taken care of, you can give it to them and it'll be done. And it'll be done better than if you did it yourself. There's no better relationship than that here on earth. Well, can I tell you, you can have that kind of relationship with God. You can have a relationship with him. And as you begin to, to know him better, as you begin to, to, to understand and realize that you can trust him and that when you will give it to him, that things will work out so much better than if you try to do it yourself. As I look over my life, I remember us getting out of college and we both graduated, Christy and I, and we moved to a place where we were working in a church. We weren't getting paid. Uh, for the first time, we weren't living off student loans. 
which we're still paying for. Graduated in 1995 and 97. We're still paying for living it up. But for the first time, we were, and, and there become moments that we become worried. There were moments that we said, how are we going to make it? There were moments that we had to call mom and dad and say, hey, you know, we're in need. But then the longer I served him and the more I trusted him, I can stand here 25 years later and I can stand on the promise that I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And that every time that I've had a need, every time that I've made the decision, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to, to give it to you. He's taking care of it. And so I can stand here assuredly and say, he'll take care of you. But you have to know him. You have to trust him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and 32 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? In other words, he's saying, don't worry about it. He's got you. He's got you. He says, for the Gentiles, seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Another version puts it this way. People who don't know God and the way that he works worry over these things. People who don't know God worry over these things. But, but the more that you get to know Him, the less your worry will be. And as a church, we want this auditorium packed every service we have. But we understand and realize that this place can be packed, but, it, but if you and the people here never really get to know God, then nothing's going to change. It makes no difference if you don't get to know God and know Him better. Why? Because He knows what you need. It says He, know what you, he knows what you need even before you ask. And when you get to know Him, you start to realize that. The next principle is, the next thing that we can do to totally commit ourselves is to put God first in every area of your life. Put him first in every area of your life. Well, what Jesus is actually saying is instead of worrying, instead of using your energy to worry, if you're a worrier, there's probably something that, that's true about you. At the end of the day or the end of the week, you're exhausted. You're absolutely worn out. And you think it's because, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm... No, I can tell you that worrying will suck the very life out of you. It takes so much energy to worry, to fret. It takes years off of your life. And what Jesus is saying is, instead of using your energy to worry, why don't you put it into something else? In Matthew chapter 6, 33, this has become my life verse. I've used it when I was a youth pastor. I've used it when I've counseled with, with people. And I've used it in my own life. If you can do this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We sit around and we worry about everything and worry about this and worry about that. 
But instead of worrying about all of those things, he said, take that energy and just seek me. Take that energy and put me first. And he said, if you'll do that, I'll take care of everything else. If you'll put me first, you won't have to worry about anything else because I'm going to take care of it all. And who better to take care of it all than the one who has it all? When we focus on him, everything else will work itself out. It's his promise. Jesus is saying, pour your life into what I'm concerned about. Put me first in your time, in your money, in your energy. Put me first. And lastly, live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. I was talking to to someone yesterday who had recently experienced tragedy in their life, and I said, how are you making it? How are things? He looked back at me, and he said, one day at a time. I'm taking it one day at a time. And if we can learn to do that, because listen, maybe that thing that you're worried about, maybe it will happen, but it's not happened yet. And worrying it about it is not going to change anything. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Someone put it this way. They said, don't open an umbrella until it starts to rain. Don't sit and worry about things that may or may not happen down the road. Worry about today. It says tomorrow will take care of itself. Worry about this moment. Live in this moment. Live for today and know that God has you. That you don't have to worry about anything. As we prepare our hearts for communion, And in that, we we are thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus. But what a great time to say, God, as I think about the sacrifice that you made and everything that you did and took upon yourself so that I didn't have to. What a great time to say, God, because of that, I'm going to trust you. Jack Hayford said, to live through a bad day, indeed, to conclude it is to place into the hands of God and to leave it there. If you want to make it through your bad day, if you want to make it through your bad season, the words that we can live by is place it into the hands of God and leave it there. If you're here today and you're a worrier, If you're here today and and you want to control every aspect of your life, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that just as Jesus committed his spirit, said, Father, into your hands, that whatever it is that weighs you down, whatever it is that you're continually worried about, we're going to pray that you can give it to him not take it back let's pray Father I come before you today 
God, I realize that you have everything in the palm of your hand. God, I know that, that often it's, it's so tempting to worry about the things that, that honestly we have no control over. God, sometimes it's, it's hard to trust. God, as we close this series and we've looked at the seven statements of your son as he hung on that cross. Today, God, I pray that you will help us place our trust in you. God, that you will help us surrender our day, our week, our life to you. Father, just to let it go. God, it's not human nature to rely on other people. But God, I pray that supernaturally you help us to learn to rely completely on you. I know there's things that that are going to happen in my life and things that happen in in our lives. I know that there's going to be bad days and bad seasons because you've told us that. But God, you've also said that there's nothing that we face that is too big for you. God, today, today, we trust in you and in you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. If you have your communion, if you didn't get that, you can just slip up your hand and as I'm talking, they'll bring one to you if you want to participate in this moment. As we prepare to receive communion together, uh, the origins of, of the Lord's Supper goes back to the night before Jesus would go to the cross. He was in the upper room having a, a meal with his disciples. And so he's there and, he, and the Bible says that he took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples. And when he did that, he said, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And what we do today is something in the natural to remind us of something in the spiritual. As you take the bread in your hand, this bread is a representation of something. This bread is for his body that was spat upon, it was beaten, it was whipped, it was broken, it was torn to shreds. That's what this represents. And it says he took the bread and he blessed it. Father, we thank you for this bread and what it represents. We take this bread and to remember what your son went through so that we could have life. To remember what he went through so that we could belong to your family. Father, we thank you for this bread and for this moment. Take the bread. Then we have the cup of juice. 
This juice is a, it's a symbol of the blood that was shed. He was there in the upper room, and the Bible says that on that night, he, he took the cup, and he blessed it, and he told them to drink. And he said, this represents the new covenant that is my blood. He said, drink it to remember the blood that was spilled for many as a remission for sins. And he blessed the cup. Father, I thank you for the blood that your son shed for us. We know that without the shedding of that blood, Father, that we would be dead in our transgressions. But Father, that blood that was shed on Calvary was for us. Father, as we take this cup today, may we be reminded of the sacrifice that was made for us. Take the cup. next couple of moments I'm going to ask you to stand and as we stand we want to take just a couple of moments just to reflect as Pastor Nick sings just to reflect on that day that day that he went to the cross to bear our sin 